Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast, brought to you by Coach Kimberly International, featuring conversations and actionable insights that equip women in STEM to lead in today's BUCA world. Welcome to the She's Up Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Kimberly Jackson. In this episode, I have the honor of speaking with retired command chief, William Perkins. William Perkins was the command chief master sergeant for the 177th Fighter Wing of the New Jersey Air National Guard. He represented the highest level of enlisted leadership and is the principal advisor to the commander of the 177th Fighter Wing. Chief Perkins was responsible for matters influencing the professional development, health, morale, and welfare of more than 1,200 airmen. While assigned to the 17th Tactical Fighter Squadron in 1990, Chief Perkins was deployed to Southwest Asia in support of Operation Desert Shield and subsequently Operation Desert Storm. On September 11, 2001, and again in 2006, he was mobilized to serve in Operation Noble Eagle. In 2012, he participated in Superstorm Sandy humanitarian efforts as a command and control node in recovery operations. During his service, Chief Perkins earned and led his command post team to multiple awards. Recently, he completed his doctoral studies in organizational leadership at Stockton University and is a newly published author. In his civilian capacity, Chief Perkins is a retired detective with the local police department, is currently an adjunct professor with two universities, and is obtaining his executive leadership coaching certification. Bill is a seasoned leader who has made it a life's long journey to grow and develop vertically, meaning developing habits, mindsets, and capacities to bolster his knowledge, skills, and competencies. Not only has he enhanced his capacities, but it has been his mission to grow as leaders in his role as a mentor and coach. His two mottos are develop others and leave a place better than how you found it. Bill, thank you so much for joining me today. And more importantly, thank you for your service to our great nation. Uh, thank you very much, Kimberly. Yeah, I appreciate it. It's an honor to be here especially today for our 20-year anniversary for September 11th. Yes. I'm sure lots of emotions are, are running through you and, and a lot of your people. Um, I know that you are, uh, one, a wealth of information, but I know you're really passionate about vertical development. And for those who are listening, that might be a brand new term, um, but I hope that it becomes commonplace um, among leaders in the very near future. So could we kick off with hearing from you how you define vertical development? Sure. And I just, you know, in analyzing the audience, I'm going to make this in the, uh, I guess, put this in the most simplest terms so that everybody can understand it. If you were to think about um, what we'll refer to uh, as horizontal leadership, being your competencies, those are your like the tools in your toolbox, whether you're, um, you're going to implement uh, change management, whether you're going to engage in conflict resolution, 
or you're going to uh, maybe lead a strategic planning initiative. The strategic planning framework, uh, the change management model you're going to use, they're all your tools in your toolbox. That's your horizontal leadership framework. Uh, the vertical is the capacity in which, like how well or the depth that you're implementing each one of those tools. So you're kind of moving vertically. So it's more of your like leadership habits, mindsets while you're implementing and your uh, capacities, the depth that you can, uh, you know, that you can implement. If you think about leading change and if one were to say use uh, the Cotter um, you know, change management model. First, uh, you know, phase or step in that model would be to create a sense of urgency for change. You know, how are you going to motivate your change agents? You know, why, how are you going to get buy-in for your change? And on the vertical side, you would uh, kind of have more of that um, catalyst mindset instead of like, hey, this is going to be done more of a phase one, phase two, phase three linear approach is that you see the human systems. You know that certain personality types are going to conflict. You know that um, why the organization needs to be changed. You're thinking in longer time horizons about how the change is going to affect the overall organization. And for stakeholder engagement or stakeholder buy-in, you're thinking way beyond on how to leverage those uh, stakeholders. So that kind of illustrates that depth along with the breadth. Thank you. I know we were chatting a little earlier before we went on air. Um, You have so many leadership stories you could pull out and share with us. But I know you mentioned one you could kick off with that um, I think really shows agility in our military. Would you want to share with us about the learning management? Sure. So like you said, with the military, sometimes being agile is uh, a bit challenge. And a lot of it's because of the hierarchical culture. So, um, But a lot of times, you know, when you're engaged in a crisis, that's when you're, you're going to rely on your knowledge catalysts. And uh, so we're going to hear that word a lot because catalysts and vertical leadership kind of run hand in hand. Um, so I remember um, working along with another individual and uh, he, he was kind of at a loss. You know, how are we going to, um, it was his responsibility to kind of implement a new measure that I know as far as the Air Force, Air National Guard is concerned, we never really engaged in telework operations for people who are kind of non-essential personnel to our uh, ongoing day-to-day Uh, real-world missions uh, where you have to have the essential personnel there. But he was kind of like, wow, this needs to be done. And as you know, uh, COVID, (laughs) and it required like more and well, even created that emerging mental model, you know, of like uh, meaning making. How do we make meaning of this? So everybody was in this analysis paralysis stage. So it was like, how are we going to do this? And usually this individual runs like with a lot of control. He's an expert, wickedly smart. Normally would probably pull out um, some type of framework or model uh, to go by. And with the military, those models work a lot of ways, you know, because we're so structured. Mm -hmm. 
that even if you're going to get 80% success, you know, it's an overall success. If you were to kind of look, shift lenses and look at mission success and what does success look like? So uh, at this point in time, uh, while we were thinking about what to do, how are we going to create a new way of thinking, a new way of meaning making, um, a new framework, and we have to do it like overnight, you know, how do we get through COVID? How do we minimize people on our installation? keep people safe, but yet keep the mission going. Um, it's the first time I actually saw this individual at a loss, but it's what triggered this individual to open up the floor for collaboration. So the shift went from that individual thinker to more of a interdependent collaborator. So in vertical leadership, because you have different stages in vertical leadership, and the stages are all associated with, uh, you know, uh, vertical or adult development. And we're, we're going to we're not going to get too much into the psychology there on or else this would be a much longer podcast in your conventional um, stages of adult development. Uh, those are your more of your independent thinkers. And then your post-conventional are more of your interdependent collaborators. And they tend to leverage all the talent involved, um, engage in better uh, talent management initiatives, uh, solicit ideas, create new mental models, uh, engage in double loop learning for those out there who understand what that is. And you end up with an overall product, a better product or a better strategy. So I just remember like he was at a loss and the, everybody was quiet in the room. We had our you know think tank going of a bunch of maybe 50 somethings, high ranking uh, people, the highest ranking people on our installation. And um, probably if one were to study uh, the demographics, you know, everybody probably fits the same demographics too. Not a lot of diversity. So you have to worry about that diversity in thought, you know, with that. And so you're uh, post-conventional on that vertical uh, spectrum. They're going to know how to leverage more diversity for more perspectives. So anyway, I raised my hand and I'm that post-conventional person in the room. And I said, uh, you know, I am a, uh, you know, an adjunct professor outside of here, you know, in my civilian capacity. And I, um, not really a civilian capacity because we are military 24-7. But anyway, so when I'm not on duty, <laughs> I'm an adjunct professor and I teach online courses. And I had a vision of what it could look like. And because he was at a loss and uh, he was just... He was just ready to say, you know, let's just go with it. I'm willing to do anything at this point. So sure enough, I took the bull by the horns. He completely empowered me. Um, I wasn't, not, <laughs> I'm not going to lie. I was scared to death. You know, I was going, so thinking about having a unit uh, with 1,200 people, maybe three quarters were going to participate in this, uh, you know, in this new way of uh, administering um, some type of a, uh, online platform to get the mission done mm -hmm. through a learning management system. So I didn't know what type of bandwidth I was going to get. I didn't know if my system was going to shut down because of overload. So there was a lot of unknowns here, but what did we have to lose, you know, at this point? So sure enough, uh, I, I engaged in a collaborative effort and sure enough, it, it ended up being such a success it received uh, some national recognition and, uh, you know, our initiatives uh, became 
so well known throughout the uh, military that I ended up uh, developing platforms for other units outside of New Jersey, um, you know, including uh, I think Puerto Rico was uh, was one of them, kind of helped them out uh, with theirs. Um, so in the end, and this is the moral of the story here when it comes down to vertical development, was this individual who you know is like I said, very much an expert. I would essentially have him in any strategy think tank out there, wickedly smart individual, talented. He looked at me and he said, Chief, thank God we had you. Thank God we had your skills during that time. And I said, it wasn't my skills that got us through it. I said, it was the fact that you were willing to empower others. And I said, and we were able to leverage the talents around our organization because we have a ton of talented people. And we became more of those interdependent collaborators rather than just having that stronghold as an independent thinker. So that was his feedback from me. <laughs> but I was hoping it was because, um, you know, in my research for vertical development, usually you need a, a trigger. When the trigger can be something that you experience on your own, whether you read about it, moving it more to an effective domain, or you uh, experience a personal deficiency where you're like, hey, now I need to know. I need to know this. I need to fill that void. So, um, yeah, so that's my, uh, that's my story. Hopefully I told it well. <laughs> well, you know, uh, thank you. I, um, I can't even imagine how quickly people needed to pivot and do things differently. Um, if someone had mentioned that pre-COVID, I would have thought, well, you know, you're going to get a bunch of consultants in the room and you're going to think about this and you're going to plan it out. And it's, you know, it's going to be a drawn out thing. And when the pandemic hit and you're forced, so there's your external trigger, um, you have to react, you know, and, and do something. And so something that might have taken a long time, you were able to quickly do with other people. Mm-hmm. Um, so kudos to you for that. That, oh, thank you know, you. That's, that, that's legacy building right there. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's fantastic. I know that this also can speak to resiliency. And I feel like resiliency and agility go hand in hand. Mm-hmm. Um, what's been your experience with that? So with resiliency, um, lately, it's been more of being catalytic to others' resilience because of my position. You know, I had a tough year leading through COVID, especially in our location. And we had airmen close to uh, up there, uh, close to New York on mission, airmen throughout the state, the veterans homes, you know, and I know there was a lot of national news about what was happening in uh, New Jersey and uh, New York area. So I had to um, kind of be agile in bolstering my airmen who were on COVID missions, uh, resilience, and then also dealing with a uh, deployment, which was going to be uh, to Afghanistan. So kind of like getting pulled in all different directions that I didn't have time really to focus on my own resilience. (laughs) I normally am one of those people who uh, in the morning, I'll cure it with like a three to five mile run, and then uh, I'm ready to tackle the day. Um, But in having a a tough year, you know, there were times I had to um, worry about myself. But as far as for my organization and the airmen who I just mentioned, it was more like 
concentrating on having a culture of resilience. So I, in fact, I uh, recently uh, went through a uh, certification and actually uh, did a little work with a uh, company called Resilience Builder Leadership uh, Program, RBLP. And when I looked at it, because as you know, because you're an academic and (laughs) we sometimes we get to academic about like, what does good leadership look like? I just went into this whole thing, illustration of what vertical development looked like with implementation of like horizontal leadership skills. But to a lot of people who just want to experience good leadership, it comes down to good leadership is just about being a decent human being. And if you look at some certain cultural facets for organizations, fostering a culture of mutual respect, making your people feel valued, building trust, um, having accountability established. You know, it's good and bad, you know, to some, depending on what end you're you're on. Mm -hmm. In addition to uh, making sure that that you're valuing diversity, you know, equity, inclusion. And it's really about building that culture. So if you think about this past year, I dealt with social unrest. I dealt with... That you know, the Middle East. I dealt with um, COVID missions all over the state and worrying about resilience. So it all became a focus towards my culture. This way, I had a platform for my airmen who don't always have their leader there face to face to check to make sure that they're all right, that I can build cultural facets and uh, deal with those human systems, make sure that they're, they're strong, they're resilient. Uh, that they they can remain agile. And it just came from making them feel valued, making sure that they knew I was in their corner, that their leaders are there when the going gets tough. So um, yeah, it was uh, definitely a a challenge, but resilience was a huge part of my year. Yeah. (laughs) How would one build resilience? What do you think is essential for a leader to be able to, because we can't give away what we don't have, right? So right. if we build up our own agility, our own um, ability to be resilient, you know, what are some of the ways in which we do that, that can be an example and teach others? Mm-hmm. I think, and if you look at some of the frameworks that are out there for and I'll go back to vertical leadership again, because it gives people a reference tool that if I look at how do I build myself vertically, kind of know how, how do I build my resilience? Um, because it takes a lot of reflective practices. And then when you start developing yourself vertically, you get to a point where you can reflect in the moment. You know, almost like outside in and look at your actions and behaviors. And I think by, you know, engaging in a lot of the what-ifs, developmental action inquiry type of uh, developmental tools where you're asking yourself, what if this were to happen? You know, what if that were to happen? What would I do? And were my actions optimal, you know, for the situation? Was I being a catalyst for others to be resilient in that moment, or was I just concentrating on myself in the mission? You know, was I thinking in longer time, long enough time horizons? But I think like when you start like what ifing those worst case scenarios, like 
what if tomorrow we see another variance and we have to shut everything down again? What if we have, you know, God forbid, um, a terrorist organization wanting to take action during um, the 20th anniversary of 9-11? And like, you know, it's, you have to think about those what ifs. And a lot of times by rehearsing those what ifs and what your actions would be and really being critical of yourself, um, you can de- develop yourself to a point where you bolster your resilience. I think also too, it's basic Maslow <laughs> theory, you know, make sure that you're solid, make sure that your physiological needs for most of us in the working world, we, you know, hopefully you have them met, you know, make sure that, you know, love, belongingness, esteem, you know, that you've pursued self-actualization to a degree where you're solid, like you had this solid foundation as a person to work from, because it comes down to the whole person, not just who you are as a leader. If you look at some of the best leadership attributes, moral courage, I would tell every organization nowadays, if you look at the challenges that we face, if you Google, you know, what's going on out there, and even some of the challenges that the pandemic introduced and what's emerged, moral courage should be on the for- forefront of every organization's core values. Because in order to have integrity, in order to put the organization before oneself, you have to have the courage to do that. And, and so nowadays, it seems like um, anytime you have integrity in question, you have an ethical dilemma. It comes down to, well, what was the infraction? And nobody really wanted to do what, what, what the unpopular thing was to do, even though it was the right thing to do. I just say, you know, leading with that moral courage, um, being honest. These are all things that uh, bolster character, things that I took from that RBLP uh, program, resilience building. And so I worked on my own resilience to make others uh, resilient. And, that, and that's what it comes down to. It, it's a deliberate development initiative. And you have to be very deliberate about this. Just to recap, working those, uh, going through those worst case scenarios, reflective practices. You know, be critical of yourself. You know, solicit 360 degree feedback. You know, could I have done better? You might think that you were optimal and maybe you weren't, you know, in the eyes of somebody else. Introduce those other perspectives. Um, in addition to that, uh, like I said, uh, you know, take care of yourself, be strong, have strong character, moral courage, honesty, empathy, humility, having humility. If you don't have humility by now as a leader with this past year, you aren't your best self. Yeah, I think somebody, you know, somebody's kidding somebody else, or maybe you're kidding yourself, you know. You mentioned um, the word belonging and that yeah. sense of belonging and something you'd been doing um, with your airmen. Do you have a story you'd like to share that would show how that sense of belonging and camaraderie comes in where? Sometimes we can have biases and we can break down those biases. Yeah. Um, In fact, I wish I could remember the uh, name of the TED Talk, but um, there's a TED Talk that uh, addresses, it was a uh, news correspondent who spent time in the field uh, in the Middle East with the military. And uh, they just found it remarkable that despite the differences, despite personal feelings, and when it comes down to accomplishing the mission, we're able to set everything aside and work as a cohesive team. 
but uh, and I really wish I could, I wish I would have remembered that the name of that individual. Um, but anyway, so that's kind of the epitome of um, even like how what I've carried with me um, as far as in my leadership practices with uh, with my airmen. So um, to know, well, first of all, it's uh, good to know that a lot of people join the military for opportunities. So you may have people who work under you who maybe didn't have uh, the best family life and maybe was missing a parent or some type of guidance in growing up. Not everybody had the same childhood and some people joined the military for a better life. So it's important for us as leaders to uh, be the be the catalyst, you know, to say, hey, mm-hmm. I'm going to provide you that sense of belongingness. I'm going to connect you to the mission. I'm going to give you that sense of purpose that you need to kind of feel like you do have a family. And I'm going to give you the love. I'm going to give you, and that's basic Sun Tzu, you know, lo- love your love your troops like you like you do your children. And we'll go to the deepest, darkest you know, battlefields. I, I can't quote it directly, but still, it's uh, something that I've taken with me in my practices that, yeah, and this is, you know, comes from a Brene Brown, I think it was Dare to Lead, you know, as far as you're putting yourself out there to be vulnerable as a leader, to love people who might not love you back. And you have to be okay with it. You have to be comfortable with being uncomfortable. And it's okay if it's one-sided. Because you know what? At some point, when they are in that deepest, darkest element of a battlefield or wherever they are, that they know that they have that platform. They know they have that safety net that they can leverage. And they know that their, their chief's there with them when the going gets tough. And that's, that's why it's so important for leaders to be there when the going gets tough. During COVID, when you're telling your airmen, <laughs> that they can't take you know any leave or time off of their family. You better not be out there taking leave or time off of your family <laughs> if you're a leader. Yeah. So I just you know go back to that, and they're only going to get that sense of belonging if they see you there enough times. I'm a big proponent of leadership by walking around. The term used to be management by walking around. I like to coin it as leadership by walking around because I want them to know. I want them to see me. And COVID made it made that a challenge as well. So I actually, so I just to go back to my story uh, from the beginning uh, when it came down to the innovation of using a learning management system mm-hmm. to uh, get to be successful with our mission. I had to put certain tools in that learning management system that kind of cultivated that sense of belongingness. I had to make sure our, our family support personnel were on there. I had to make sure our, we had chaplain services on that learning management system, a message from their leadership, you know, a video message. And then later on, you know, put a link for a streamed collaboration, make sure that they were there. Also, too, to thank them for what they're doing, give them that appreciation and that their value. It, it, that bolsters that sense of purpose. And you have to get creative, too. So I don't want to keep talking about how the military does it, because I know not all of our audience is going to be military. But if you think about how any organization runs, you have different tiers. You have your people who are at the tactical level, you know, who are implementing uh, whatever strategies they're out there, they're executing 
the strategies, they're getting the job done. Operational level, you know, you're more like overseeing operations, make sure everything's being, you know, running smoothly, collecting that data for those data decision making. And then you have the strategic level, and that's like your C-suiters. If you think that you have somebody who's down there in, I don't know, uh, but I was going to date myself and say the mailroom. <laughs> I don't think organizations have mailrooms anymore. Yeah. But I could do that too. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, if you think about somebody who just, let's just say, uh, is more of an administrative uh, type of role, generating the letters for those C-suiters to get them out there, memorandums, posting the memorandums in the break room. How do you get that person to connect? How do you give that person a sense of purpose? It goes back to being that visible leader again. You know, maybe you want to take that person for a walk or lunch. Walk them around the organization and say, you see like what you do every day, how it connects? This is what, this is what our mission is. This is our vision. This is how, this is, you know, our mission is how we're going to get there. So, but I want to show you how those memos that you generate every day connect to us getting the mission done. And that's important. That will bolster a sense of purpose. It'll give them pride in what they do. Then they no longer feel like that lower level employee. And we're back to leadership just being like, it's about being a a good person, being caring. You have to care enough to do that. Well, thank you so much. I think before we wrap, would you have any parting words of advice for those leaders that are, well, those who have transitioned out of the military and into civilian life and are embarking on a leadership journey in what we would say corporate America, right? Do you have any like parting wisdom for them? That transition I know is hard. It is. And um, be proud of the tools, the techniques, the um, everything that you learned in the military. Um, get creative about how it transitions to the civilian world. and. Um, to that um, sector of corporate America, know that you're bringing a great skill set and you know how to cultivate a culture just with your own personal behaviors and how to create a culture of respect, trust. Military, it doesn't matter what branch you are, we're, we're all value-driven. You know, sure, you read about some infractions. You do in every organization. Mm-hmm. But the thing is, we are like a force that has actually an indoctrination of, hey, you know, this is how you're going to act. This is how you're going to behave. So take that because it's of significant value. Look at everything now. I mean, the military, we are true melting pot. And we can operate with that cohesive, despite um, the differences, your, your typical diversity and inclusivity approach to identification of like race, you know, religion. We even have uh, other differences too in rank and officer enlisted, things like that. So just know that you're bringing a value to some of those contemporary issues that the corporate America has in DEI, diversity, equity, and inclusion. 
make sure, because uh, I know like a, a huge uh, platform on your initiatives, uh, especially with this podcast is the Women in STEM. Yes. Right? So, so if you think about that um, military, uh, you know, huge on STEM, obviously. Mm-hmm. You know? <laughs> so uh, because of the nature of uh, our missions and our tools that we use to accomplish those missions, just know that you're bringing already a wealth of information and leadership practice in areas such as DEI, and you've dealt with systemic issues or organizational constraints that had to be broken to kind of transcend, you know, the best leaders forward despite gender. So you're ahead of the curve. That's my advice and leverage it. Know what what corporate America wants. DEI is huge. What you're tackling is huge. And I would love one day to come back as a, as a guest and just talk about that because that's one of my favorite topics to talk about because I have a lot of experiences with transcending female leaders within my own organization and how I did it. And I had to play a little evil genius at times. I had, I had to create a learning organization culture to get people to value or to even identify that we did have organizational constraints, even though they would have swore we didn't. Things like that. So. Well, I will absolutely have you back to spend time with that conversation. Yeah, I would love it. (laughs) Yes. Well, thank you again. I really, truly appreciate your time. I know how busy you are. Um, And again, thank you for your service. Oh, thank you very much. It's my pleasure. And uh, I appreciate being your guest here. That's it for this episode of the She's Up Leadership Podcast. As always... Thank you to our listeners for tuning in. You can subscribe to She's Up on Apple, Google, Spotify, Audible, Alexa, Pandora, or wherever you get your podcast. I'm your host and executive producer, Dr. Kimberly Jackson, founder and principal of Coach Kimberly International. Special thanks to our marketing manager, Sandy Lomas, and to audio engineer, Joseph Keenan, with Short Stack Studios in New York. We invite you to join us in our commitment to advancing women in leadership in STEM fields. To learn more about the She's Up movement, visit us at coachkimberly.com.